Hey guys, Brad here. Unfortunately, the event that we were talking about listing for and advertised in this episode unfortunately had to be canceled. I did consider not putting this episode out, but since Johnny made the time to come on and since we talked about Warlord Open Day, and I think there's some really valuable listing chat in here, and we have had a lot of requests to talk about how to list for bolt action events. I think I will let this stand as it is, but please know that it, unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond Albert's control, that he had to pull the plug on this event, and I'm hoping he runs another event soon because the man is a dead set legend. Without further ado, here is the episode for Operation Malamute. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I not only make podcasts, I consume them at a frightening rate. I enjoy listening to people talking about gaming, uh, retro movies, video games, but mostly gaming, uh, unsurprisingly. But in May of this year, I was really happy when we got a new and exciting, different voice for my favorite game, Bolt Action. Joining me today is one of the voices from that podcast, a show that I really enjoy listening to. And I'm not just saying that. I highly recommend you listen to them because they have some really interesting and not bad interesting, really clever, interesting takes on armies that you don't hear on other shows. And I really enjoy listening to that because it makes me think about the game that I love to play. It's not just the same old echo chamber. Of course, I'm talking about Tabletop Tommies, and joining me today is Johnny from the show. Johnny on the spot, welcome to Cast Dice. How you doing, man? Incredible. It's brilliant to be here. Thank you for that introduction. That's the nicest thing anyone said all year, I think, about us. Oh, man. I am not just blowing sunshine. In the last couple of days, I have listened to the Japanese episode a second time. And the Finland episode I listened to a couple weeks back. Um, I am I have it queued up and ready to go for my next trip because I am going to listen again. It is really nice to hear people talk about the Japanese army and not just say, you know, control copy, bamboo spear. Control 100 spearmen, that's all you right? need. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That is, and that's the risk, I think, when you have, especially the inverted commas competitive scene telling mm -hmm. you that something is good. Uh, you get a lot of players who buy into that. And then it often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? Where the good mm -hmm. players take X, so X must be good. And so 
And then, of course, the aspiring players who want to be good then take that. And so that's always... Obviously, we have to talk about those units like the Spearmen, like the Gurkhas, that people are definitely going to take. But yeah. we always try to give that contrast of, have you thought about maybe trying this unit? Um, because for me, like you say, it's about playing the game in an interesting way. Because after about a year of playing regularly, it's you can't just play the same game every week, can you? You need a little bit of variety to spice up the game a bit. Otherwise, I think you'll start drifting into other games and that's one thing that I really dig about your show because it's the two of you guys. And one of you, you, um, mm -hmm. is a little bit more on the competitive side and your co-host is definitely more on the historical side and the painting side. So together you guys have a really nice juxtaposition of ideas, um, when coming into these things. And you also talk about the importance of factoring in what is the player pack for the event? How does this event uh, want its players to list? How do they want the players to play? And how do you then sort of cater for that? And I find that really re refreshing. It's not just, here's one list. This is the one way that you play to win. Here are the best units all the time. And that's what makes it such an interesting conversation for me and why I really dig your show. Thank you very much. That's that's one of the reasons I really enjoy making it, to be honest. The originally you're absolutely correct i was very competitive that was all i started playing the game for the game and so that was very much what i was interested in whereas phil started the game in the exact opposite phil started the game to build a historically accurate burma platoon because he's got a family connection to burma mm -hmm. um and so over time obviously we start to sort of now phil's quite competitive i'm now known for I'll quite often throw together a historically accurate platoon now. Um, and so it's that is one of the reasons I do enjoy discussing bolt action with Phil on a weekly basis. Because it if you're there's nothing interesting in talking to yourself, I would say. The most interesting conversations are when you talk to someone who is your polar opposite, because mm -hmm. usually the truth is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? That's amen to that. I would say so. You and I definitely, I think, have slightly different takes on the army that we're going to talk about today, which is why I have you on, uh, because I need the Tabletop Tommy's uh, assistance on my Finn list, because uh, you are a Finn player, I'm a Finn player, but I'm listing for an event and I'm turning myself into loops. So uh, I think it's time that we break it down a little bit. But before we talk about Melbourne's next big bolt action event, you have recently been in the last week to an event that I really want to go to, uh, the Warlord Open Day. Tell us, first of all, what is the Open Day and how did you get there, you bad man? <laughs> so the Warlord Open Day happens every year. So if you are in England, I suppose the UK generally, it's one that isn't is worth going to 100% because it isn't hard to get to. You just have to get yourself to Nottingham. Um, and it's, I believe it was £9 for the ticket to, to go there. They put on a fantastic day. It was, they were so welcoming. Um, and it's it's so interesting. It's, it's almost like a family feel that, that I think they're trying to sort of build there and what they're trying to sort of like bring you into. And so 
they take you through. They showed us the the casting, in so they showed us the the resin casting. They showed us the um, the metal casting and the new warlord resin that they're mm-hmm. doing all like the team weapons in, which was really mm-hmm. interesting. Definitely worth seeing. Um, and then obviously we got to see some of the stuff that's not been released yet. And I've got to say there was quite a lot of things on the shelf there like just waiting to go out. Uh, and so that was fantastic. And then, of course, we got sort of the Q&A sessions with sort of the big guns of Warlord. Um, so th- there were Q&As with, from my perspective, obviously, we're bolt action. So for me, the big ones were sort of Paul and Alessio did a sit down. And that mm-hmm. was the one that I think was the most interesting for me. It's always good to hear from John Stollard, though. I know you were in there with uh, Paul Sawyer and John Stollard. John sometimes lets things slip like Hagrid. <laughs> oh, shouldn't have said that. And, you know, you just watch mm-hmm. Paul roll his eyes and be like, you're my boss. I can't tell you not to do this, uh, which I find very entertaining. Um, now, you did post pictures from the open day, and I couldn't help but notice that there was a VW bug. There was for the Germans for bolt action. There was uh, an Italian armored car slash transport. And that, oh, what was the, was it a duck? There, uh, it was a seep, the sea jeep. Oh, that, and the, the VW bug was very exciting, I think, because one of the things that I like about that as a model for Warlord is it's not unique to the war. I can mm-hmm. totally see them selling loads of them to people who are doing all sorts of modeling dioramas, different games, because that model didn't change for a long no. time. And so, and even if you're doing something in the modern era, you can very easily put a vintage VW bug in there, couldn't you? So that's right. That that's a very exciting model from a non-bold action perspective. But yeah, there was just so much. And that was one of the reasons when, when I was talking about the QAs, I didn't mention John and Paul's QA because there were so many announcements of new kits that I was a bit worried we'd end up spending an hour just talking about <laughs> what they're announcing. All right. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds because we do have things to talk about. But uh, give us give us a couple give us a couple little little snippets. I heard something about a power fist and a possibly or chain fist and possibly tanks. Yeah, I believe it was called chain fist that Paul was announcing about. It's a new game. And the idea is it'll be three tanks on three tanks. Um, But it is, as I say, a new game. So there'll be cards, I think. So you do. Mm certain actions with cards there'll be chits um it's very much for players who it sounds like it's for players who want to play sort of tank wars Mm -hmm. but want a little bit more detail because you're going to get it it sounds like they've taken the idea of the tank war book with the the campaign mode where you crew gain experience and they've taken that to the next level where you you're sort of choosing your crew based on their experience, based on their skills and leveling them up. So that was a really interesting one. Um, we didn't get to see exactly what it's going to look like, but that was the sort of the broad strokes overview. That gets me excited. I'm assuming it's using the same scale as bolt action. I believe. Um, so that question was asked and they're not going to do a unique model range for it. So you can use the models you've got. Brilliant. Uh, how model agnostic it is uh, because I'm not sure how they're doing ranges and things. So obviously, mm. but it does sound like it's fairly model agnostic. So if you've got 172 scale tanks, let's say, because 
you're more of a modeler than a bolt action player. I imagine you'd probably be able to use them in that new system that's coming out. That sounds awesome. As someone who owns just a couple tanks, this sounds great to me. A game where I don't have to buy no, <laughs> buy more models or paint more, but uh, I always do. Any big bolt action model kit releases that um, kind of tickle your fancy that you think folks might want to hear about? There was a new, there were some French on bicycles, which yes. are interesting. Um, I'm not going to buy any, I don't think, but <laughs> they, they were interesting. I'm just going to have a quick look at the photograph to see I've what it was. Bicycles are one of those things that are, you rarely see them on the table. Um, our friend Lee Avery runs a, a British paratrooper army, and he's got the well bikes. And he actually has three units on well bikes and he's painted them and matched the infantry model to the well bike, which is like one of my favorite hobby projects of all time, especially with all the camouflage matching model to model is wild. But to see someone roll those bikes on and then dump off and then get behind a wall or get behind a building is just great tactics and bolt action. And it you can really get a, a, a you know, a, a jump onto the table um, when your opponent just isn't used to facing bikes and doesn't quite know how they work. So the more bikes we get, the happier I am as a player because it's just one more thing to consider on the tabletop. It's cool. Yeah, it's they're not super competitive. You, I no. don't think they're, they're not include for anyone. No, but no, no. They are interesting. And also, actually, mm -hmm. speaking of tank wars, they're a good way to because you have to have transport for everything. If you do mm -hmm. play a tank platoon, they're a good way to get to cheaply get your troops to the battle. And That's actually right. on that note, there were two kits that I've just remembered. Uh, there were two Hungarian tanks. I believe there was a Toldi mm -hmm. and a Chaba armored car, I believe on the shelf there. And they're yeah. ones that we haven't really seen. Um, nope. And Fortress Budapest, which I often talk about on our podcast, yeah, right. is one of my favorites. And I've got a Hungarian army. Um, and so they definitely are exciting. I mean, I've already got those two models from another manufacturer. But yeah, if I... Mad Bob indeed, yeah. Yes, um, he made all my Indian carriers. Yeah. It, it's the place to go. If you, if you want something a little bit obscure and you don't own a 3D printer, Mad Bob's usually my first protocol. I bought not too long ago. I bought, I was trying to add a little bit more terrain to one of my city boards. And so I bought folding terrain from, I believe it was foreground before they went out of business. And then I went on Mad Bob's website to buy an artillery tractor for my Soviets. And right there on his front page, he had designed them and went, Oh, I'm an idiot. Of course, Mad Bob, only Mad Bob could create terrain that folds up. And then oh, folds yeah. out for you to play with. Genius. It's incredible. We played, he took it to Beachhead Tournament, which is a tournament mm -hmm. on the South Coast in England. And when he was designing it, I think it was the prototypes. He he was helping the tournament by bringing some terrain. And I believe he brought the prototypes for it. And so all the players at that tournament got a nice sneak peek. And it mm -hmm. is, it's exactly the kind of terrain you want if you maybe don't have a gaming room where you can leave a table set up and you just mm -hmm. have a box that you need to keep on a shelf and then every now and then pull out a six by four. It's absolutely perfect for that. Should we shift to our event or do you have oh, yes. Tell me the open day that you want to talk about? 
no, please tell me about this tournament. I'm on the edge right. of my seat. Um, what's now, it called, first of all, I suppose? Operation Malmut. Now, and I, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that. It's the name of the dog breed. You typically play, you do play in a range of events. You do play Indeed. in competitive events. You do play in more narrative events. Uh, and this is a semi-narrative event. So mm -hmm. it will be competitive around certain edges, but it is intended to be a narrative style event. The missions link battle to battle, and there are four rounds. Round one is 500 points. The other three rounds are 1,000 points. And I'll talk about how that works in a second. Each round is two hours. It is being run by our good friend Albert, who has run tons of great events um, in other game systems. This is his first time out in bolt action, but he is a longtime bolt action player. He's won a huge number of our local events and events in other places. The man knows what he's talking about, and he's put a lot of thought into this event. <laughs> now, I don't know. I haven't seen all the goodies he has behind the scenes, but I did ask him if he wanted me to mention a few things. He did say he was going to try and keep it relatively Axis v. Allies. The initial mission will be will resemble the mission from the Bolt Action Alliance 2020 mission pack, Kitty Hawk Down. But the other missions will be variations of, and there are variations, to rulebook missions that we all know and love. So when you come to this event, you're going to see missions that you have seen before. However... All of them will have a tweak, adding to that narrative for the event, um, which I think is really, really exciting. So I'm really keen for this. Um, now, I know there is going to already, there's a spread of players for this event. So when I say a spread of players, I mean across different nations. So I am trying to come up with something to play for this. Albert has... Uh, <laughs> encouraged me to try something minor powers. I think he's getting a lot of majors. And so I thought I would use this opportunity to bring my fins, but I will get to that in a second. Listing requirements are as follows. Maximum one flamethrower per army. Maximum one multiple rocket launcher per army. The canister round is banned from the Mariana and Palau Islands book. Um, you can only have a maximum of one bamboo spear fighter squad in any Japanese army. You can only have a maximum of one Gurkha section and any variants thereof. Um, you can only, sorry, the M3 is allowed. That is the M3 Stuart, but it cannot be given the additional hull mounted LMG option. So no DACA Stuarts. You can have a maximum of one Brandenburger squad. So the IJA general influence will not be used. Fortifications will not be used. Heroes and special characters will not be used. War reporters, no. Warplanes, no. Campaign Korea, no. Vehicle-mounted vehicle flamethrowers, no. Maximum number of cavalry units, one. And there are a few other additional rules. Um, however, turret jam will not be allowed at this event. There is a 16 order dice cap. Mission one will be on a four by four table and players must provide a 500 point list to play in the first scenario. 
maximum one armor seven plus unit in that 500 points. No free units will be used for that. Um, and following that, uh, players must provide a thousand point army list. This has to include the units in the 500 points. So basically you're adding another 500 points to the first 500 points for missions two, three, and four. Army lists must be submitted by the 15th and armies must be drawn from the following books. The armies of Germany, uh, the United States, Great Britain, Soviet Union, France and the Allies, Imperial Japan, Italy and the Axis Minor Powers, any theater or campaign books published up to and including Soft Underbelly and lists from Korea may not be used. Armies will be checked and min-max, sorry, will be checked and will, people will be asked to resubmit them if it does not suit the event. This is a semi-narrative event for casual and competitive people. However, min-maxing will not be permitted. Uh, for more information, please see the banned and restricted list, which we talked about, and or message Albert directly. Does that help you to understand the event, Johnny? Yeah, I think that's always the first port of call when you're building a list is the context that's going to be played in, isn't it? So if it is for an event, the restrictions of the event, what the TO expects from the event, what the other players expect, is usually the first thing that I'm thinking of when I'm writing a list. And that does sound like a very well-written pack there. What I like is it's something a little bit different. So one of the things that I find as someone who goes to a lot of tournaments is if it's the same restrictions and the same sort of three-game tournament, 1,000 mm -hmm. points, single platoon, it starts to get a bit samey. And so yes. having a, the 500 points and then add 500 points on, for the people who like to build army lists, that's a mm -hmm. really nice little problem that you've got to try and solve there. Um, I think the fact that it's narrative is nice because it means that newer players sort of can buy in really nicely. And then it was interesting at the end there of the pack where it says it's for casual and competitive people. Right. And that's quite interesting because this is where I think, and it's often overstated, but there's this sort of this idea that there's a big friction between people who play casually down the club and people who play competitively. But actually, and we were going to do an episode I was considering doing an episode about this, about what this idea of competitive means, because actually we don't mean competitive because in a literal meaning of the word, bolt action, however you play it, is competitive. Somebody wins and somebody loses. Right. And so, and so even your casual players, in inverted commas, are playing competitively. Um, mm -hmm. They're just not pushing. They're basically not optimizing. And so... But what's nice in stating that, yes, it's a casual event, but we are having prizes for the winners. You sort of you're setting people's expectations that you you shouldn't bring your worst thing. You shouldn't expect to see the hardest list possible. But equally, you might encounter something that's a little bit more difficult to deal with than your yeah. own list. Um, and that's nice to put in there. The other good point on that, actually, because he's he said that, that he's going to check the list and he might ask you to resubmit. Mm -hmm. I imagine he won't have to do that with a huge amount of players because one of the things that I often say to people with packs is the tighter you make those restrictions, the easier it is. Because mm -hmm. 
my idea of what isn't a strong list isn't the same as your idea of what isn't a strong list. And it's not the mm -hmm. same as the, the tournament organizer's idea. And so the tighter we make those restrictions, everyone's expectations are really clear. And it means you don't really have to bounce many lists then. And then everyone yeah. can turn up and have a wonderful time. It's true, man. I, I've recently had a very interesting conversation online. I'm part of the Axis and Ales bolt action group. Um, and I've been talking with some of the players in there. Um, John, who runs a lot of our local events, and I often have very different opinions about what's competitive or what's really good versus good. And I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not saying that he's right. I'm just saying that we have these really, I wouldn't say spirited, like I don't want to say like we're, mm -hmm. we're fighting about it, but we often say, well, I think this, well, I think this. Oh, cool. And yeah. so it, it's this, this rich discussion of what we think is valuable on the tabletop and how that translates to what's point efficient and what isn't and what suits what army lists rules and what doesn't, you know, it's really easy for me as someone who's been playing bolt action for a million years to go. Yeah, I, I know, but that really is, you know, dismissive. You know, there are fresh ideas aplenty everywhere. And John is a really good war gamer. So to have those discussions about what's good and what isn't helps me to become a better player. I have to reconsider my preconceptions. And in the process, it's it's led me to to revisit some of those, those armies and some of those units and go, okay, well, maybe I should <laughs> use this or maybe I shouldn't use this thing. And so partially because of those conversations and partially because of the line that you're talking about where it says this is for narrative play and competitive play, I am turning myself into knots. I have now put together armies for the Soviet Union, Germany, the US, Finland, and China, nationalists, and um, a different Soviet list. And yeah, I think that's it. But this is all in the last five days. Yeah. So every time I wake up, I go, what about this? And Easy Army is uh, getting some heavy traffic for me. <laughs> it is difficult when this, and this is one of the things that I struggle with as well. If if a tournament organizer doesn't put tight restrictions in and tells you they want it to be very soft and friendly, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to gauge where their line is. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you've actually done yourself a huge favor by choosing the Finns because... They are strong, so you can make a strong army that makes you competitive. But because they don't have the variety that, or, and they don't have as many special rules as some of the as the major powers, mm -hmm. I'd say even if you built the very strongest possible finish list you could, it wouldn't be as strong as those major powers' strongest list. And so, actually, if you build something reasonably competitive for Finns, you're probably going to be in a good place without being over the top for this sort of tournament. I'm glad you said that because when I put together this list the first time, the first iteration, I looked at it and threw up in my mouth a little bit and then <laughs> put it aside and said, I'm going to come back at this and then rebuilt it a different way. Um, but even then, they just don't have the variety of the majors, right? I mean, no one has the variety of the Soviets, but... yeah. To have the variety of, you know, just the tank selection of Great Britain or the national rules selection or, 
you know, just the versatility of some of the American units, you just look at it differently. And yeah, that, that led me to look at things like, Oh, what about the free French or, mm. you know, what about Canadians? But even then those are variations of the American list or the British list. And so I went, well, let's do something different, um, which is how we ended up with Finland. Before I dig into my list, let's give the listeners a quick bit of context. What are your experience with them? Because you've played Finns on and off for quite a while. Yeah, so I've played Finns. They were a bit like you. I So my primary army were the US and still are, basically. But a bit like you, when I was going to the more thematic tournaments, I was finding it oh, finding it difficult to find that line mm -hmm. where I'm still competitive, but not so competitive that anyone's going to be upset and thinks I've brought something unfair. And so I was looking for a minor power um, and the Finns seem to be just the one because they're good, but you pay a lot of points for those good things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've, I've run them, I think at three tournaments. Um, I ran them at South end at a team tournament, which was, a very friendly one and they i think i came second in that one then mm -hmm. i ran them at beachhead which again was a nice it's a bit more competitive but it's still axis versus allies take mm -hmm. a step to the left rather than swiss pairing so a bit of a friendly one and i came sec uh, came first with the Finns there and then i also took them to a big tournament in the uk called warfare um sorry uh, called warfare and that one it's about 40 players two days five games and that one it's 14 dice limit which really helps the fins because you don't Ooh, want yeah. loads of dice um, right and I, and th at that one i came second with them so i've taken them to at least three tournaments because that's how many i remember mm -hmm. <laughs> and exactly right and yeah and then generally what happens though is when i use them i tend to think these are quite good but I love the maneuverability of my US, so I tend to fall back on the US. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, actually, speaking of the dice cap here, where the 16 dice max for your tournament, your Operation Mal was it Malamute? Yes. Um, yeah, the 16 dice cap, I think, is in the Finns' favor because it means you're not going to be really heavily outnumbered, which is what can sometimes happen if it's an unrestricted tournament and you bring sort of a 12 to 15 dice Finn list. If someone brings 24 dice Soviets or Japanese, quite often you don't get a turn. Right. And yeah. honestly, that is one of the things that when I was building my Japanese list, I ended up with 18 dice. Yeah. And then I went, well, let me rebuild this. And then I ended up with 17 dice. And then I went, mm, I could make this less. And my Soviet list was the same way. And went, you know what? I don't, I don't need this. Let me, let me. And that's when I was talking to Albert about it. And he said, just, you know, do something minor. So that's when mm -hmm. I jumped back because I have the fins. And for those who haven't heard me talk about the fins in the past, I did, I, I painted this army originally to take to Australia's biggest bolt action event, CanCon, God, like five or six years ago. And I never got it done. So I ended up taking my, my Sikhs that to that event and, and as a result, I never got the fins to a thousand points. Now, early last year, um, Drew Bax ran a, a small event that was for beginner friendly. Um, but then on the second day, it was for more experienced players. So I came on the second day, I played some games 
And for that event, it was a 750 point event. And I painted a few more fins to, to run my fins at that. So I have 700, eight, 750, 800 points of fins ready to go if I run them one way, which is a historical themed list, which I'll talk about in a second. But I'm looking at this as an excuse to add more to my fins to get it to a thousand points. Now, depending on how I get to that thousand points, that will really determine how much painting <laughs> I have to do in the next couple of weeks. Um, Nothing like a deadline so, to get you painting. Oh God, man! I've been I've been so casual with my painting in the last couple of months. I actually painted my first model in two months. Uh, last week and just went, oh, it's so nice to paint again. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at it going, wait, I'm painting how many models in white? Oh, ooh. Well, it's see. more difficult than white. It shows all the dirt. Yeah, man, I love painting white, but it is a slow process. Yeah. Um, All right, which is why I never got them done in the first place. Yeah. But let's talk about my list. Now I'm running this list to match something that I was reading online. Um, if you go to, I believe it's Jaeger something or other is the website. Um, I never remember the name of the website, but if you search up uh, Finland continuation war, heavy tank brigades, um, it's usually one of the first options on Google that pops up and they have a giant rundown of in real depth, you know, how tanks were used, how equipment was used, but specifically conflicts and um, the equipment. And I really, really wanted to use a T-28 that I had painted years ago. And so in looking that up, I actually read about a conflict that happened in December of 1942, where it's pre-dawn assault. The Finns have taken their T-28s and they put them together into one brigade. They have four of them. They also have an armored car there to run sort of to run out in advance and to harass the enemy. Um, but it is so cold that they can't get two of them to start. So they only go out with a support crew of a couple of units of infantry, less than a platoon. They have two T 28s and they have this armored car and they have some, it's basically some tractors um, and comsomolets to move things around. And that's the army. And that reading that account and reading about how one of the tank commanders hated being in his T-28 so much that he would command it from outside the tank and run up and give people directions because he said that no one could direct a battle without being able to see what was happening. Um, the man was a wild man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> bonkers. So was he standing on his tank for a better view? No, he was standing behind it and then oh, running up, giving okay. orders and then running yeah. back away from his tank. So like really strange. Um, but somehow, you know, somehow he came off as heroic and not as cowardly <laughs> in this. Uh, but in this conflict, um, I, I really, you know, the, I don't think the Finns even won, but I just, I love the idea of that narrative. They got two of these bastard big, <laughs> post ban vehicles moving forward and they're moving forward with regular troops. None of the bells and whistles. 
It's just, let's get this done. Let's, you know, let's meet the, you know, the enemy. And um, look, it really, it really resonated with me. And it, it, because of it, I painted a second T28. And so that is what I'm theming my army on. Now, Albert said that some lists, some armies can use two platoons, particularly some of the minor powers because they don't have the options of the majors. And Finns are allowed, depending on the army, two platoons. So he has approved this list, at least the idea of this list. He has not seen the final list because I haven't turned it in. So the idea here is dual platoons. So we have two lieutenants and we have two T-28s. Now, that is our bare bones. Um, one of them will be my tank commander, but that's only going to be the way he's painted, um, not the actual rules. One will be the infantry lieutenant. Backing that up, I have four continuation squads. At least initially I did um, where it would be four squads of eight, each with a submachine gun and an NCO with a submachine gun. And then from there, I've added Panzerfausts. I know technically they don't show up till 1944. However, this is a competitive event and I have no anti-tank. So <laughs> I was going to add that. Adding to that, I have messed around to make that 500 points because making that 500 points made things hard. So my first platoon is the Lieutenant. I have the eight man, the two eight man squads that I just talked about. I also have a seven man squad with one, just the NCO with the submachine gun and the Panzerfaust. So there's a third squad in that, um, an anti-tank rifle and a consomelette. Now, something to keep in mind is with the T-28 and the Kamsamalet, both are, what's the rule for the Finns? Um, unreliable. Unreliable. Yeah. yeah I was going to say inreliable. Yeah, that's not it. It's definitely unreliable. <laughs> I was initially thinking that this list was illegal because Albert said seven plus armor, you can only have one tank. However, I did clarify while we were recording, that is only for the first 500 points. I only have one T-28, so it is legal. My second platoon, again, I have the lieutenant. I have the two eight-man continuation man squads with two SMGs and a Panzerfaust. Um, I have a light autocannon. I have another Komsomolet to go with the T-28. And I have a BA-20, which is a light armored car with an LMG in the turret. It is also unreliable. Uh, so all up, I am talking about 14 order dice, two lieutenants with no friends, five infantry squads that are relatively same samey. No one has the tough fighter option. They're all regular. Um, we have one autocannon, one anti-tank rifle, and we have the armored car, two consomolets. So basically three light crappy vehicles with unreliable with LMGs. And we have the two T-28s. And when I play these, I won't be playing them with the coax. Sorry, with the coax, I will. They, I won't be playing them with the, the Pintle because Finns didn't have them. And because they FAQ'd the Soviet ones and not the Finn ones, this actually has one less media machine gun than it should because Warlord hasn't FAQ'd this one. Um, so I'm technically playing one MMG down, but I'll still have the turret, 
uh, light howitzer with the coax MMG and then the two mini MMG turrets on the front. I just won't be using the one on the back. The pindle. Yeah. Oh, the, oh sorry, the rear-facing one. Yeah, because the in one? the original, yeah. they did not include that on the yeah. original unit costing, but they put the pintle one in, and so they FAQ'd it to say it has the rear machine gun as well, mm -hmm. and then you can pay for the pintle. I believe right, that's okay. how they fixed it for the Soviets, but they mm -hmm. did not do that for the Finns. So the yeah. Finns technically have one less MMG, depending on how you play it. So that's my army. I'm feeling a distinct lack of AT. I know that's weird, says the guy with five squads with Panzerfaust, but I'm looking at those as more of a deterrent. I think the auto cannon yeah. is going to be the thing that gets me where I need to go. I would normally run a heavy auto cannon, but I didn't have the points for a tow, which is why I'm just using the Komsomolet. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling unbelievably points tight. As a Finn player, what are you thinking? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, starting with your tanks. So in your 500 list, you'll have yep. no tanks. And then in your 1,000 points, you'll run the two two, T-28s? So in the 500 points, sorry, I will have one T-28. Because oh. I'm allowed one 7 plus. And so uh, the Consomolet is 7. That makes sense, yes. And then if I understood Albert's pack correctly the Komsomolet and then the t28 um count as one more than seven i i could be wrong i could this could be an illegal sure. list. so if so i'd have thought, to drop a Komsomolet. yeah well my thoughts were either what you could do because overall you are quite light on infantry especially in the 500 you've only really yeah. got two infantry squads so if it's an objectives game that's going to be quite tight so actually uh the initial, the initial mm -hmm. platoon has, sorry, the two squads of eight and then one of seven. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, oh, so actually that's not too bad. Um, what you could do effectively is that T28, you could move to your thousand to add more men. If you do have three squads, that probably is sufficient for 500, to be honest. I misheard how many squads you had. I, um, I Look, I think I explained it poorly, um, <laughs> but yeah, I um so that's one option. The other option is if you've got some time to paint, there is another tank that I really like for the Finns, which is the Vickers six ton. So yes. 70 points, you get two machine guns and two separate turrets. So mm -hmm. not only is it good because it's quite cheap, so when your points tight, you've got mm -hmm. something else there. It can put out two pins in a turn by targeting two units. But it also is a little bit more interesting than the same old tank. Admittedly, the T28 is quite interesting as well because it's got three turrets. But um, but that little Vickers six-ton might be the one to go for for 500 points, especially if you're not expecting to see much armor. That's true. It's yeah. very true. And yeah, I... So that was my first thought, yeah. No, I think you're entirely right. If this list was illegal... I initially I was going to drop the T one of the T28s for um the Vickers uh six ton. Um is that what six ton? Is that what it was? Yeah, six ton, um, yeah. Yeah, it's basically the same profile as a T26, and I have seen mm -hmm. a lot of the dual machine gun T26 in pictures with fins using them. Mm -hmm. And they even mentioned, I believe, in the unit profile. So I was just going to get a T26 with the dual machine gun mounts and then paint it in fin colors. 
I think that would be cool. And it's not like yeah. it would, it wouldn't be painting a lot more white. Yeah. And the thing that I enjoy the most when I'm painting actually, is I like doing the decals at the end where you, you do all your little stickers and it just brings the model to life. And so actually when I'm painting vehicles are what I enjoy painting the most. Um, if you did do that, um, what I would consider is taking that second Panzerfaust on the continuation squads because you will need that little bit more anti-tank because, yes, the T-28 isn't an anti-tank unit. It's only got a light howitzer, but that light howitzer can mm -hmm. pin tanks. And so if you take that light howitzer away, I would definitely start sprinkling more Fausts in. Let's talk mm -hmm. T-26s because mm -hmm. the other option that I had considered and one that I only started running because I, I have one in my nationalist Chinese, is I actually started running the the T-26 with the light AT gun and the coax medium machine gun. Now, obviously, you can't pin sprinkle with it, and it only mm -hmm. can fire one weapon system at a time. But it is relatively cheap. I believe it's 105 points. It does not have the unreliable rule. Neither does the dual machine gun version. But it would give you a light AT gun which I'm hoping would probably be enough AT at the 500 point level and would be, a, 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 you know, have a little bit more teeth for the larger game. However, the real impact of the, the, the twin tower list of the two T28s is the pin sprinkling. It's the fact that yeah. you can fire at three separate units and put th pins on three separate units. And when you're running them side by side, you know, hundred percent, you're, you're putting out a lot of pins. Absolutely. And, and that's why I think the Vickers, if you are having to trim down, the Vickers is the natural alternative because you still totally. put out two pins a turn and it's about half the points. It's one thirty versus mm -hmm. 70. So that would be definitely the, the alternative I'd recommend. And having run the dual platoon at 800-ish points, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, and run the dual T-28s, a nice little touch for those who are thinking about a T-28 and a fin list, if you get a bunch of pins, which you're going to have happen, it's unreliable. People are going to hit it, and you won't clear the pins every time by rallying because then you'll your tank will never do anything. But if it does, sometimes that's not a bad thing because they're not shooting at your infantry. But if you do get a bunch of pins and you get stuck and you need to make something happen, remember you can fire it the howitzer, you know, and Indirect, if, you know, yeah. sometimes you need sevens or eights to hit, it's going to hit on the six automatically. Now that's not great odds, but if you need something to happen that has come through in the, in a pinch, something to keep in mind because you can fire it indirect, which is nice. Yeah. hundred percent. And actually, on that note, with your unreliable vehicles, if you could find the points, I definitely would recommend making them veteran. Because exactly as you say, there may be times that T28 has too many pins to do sort of the advance you wanted it to do. But if you can have good odds of passing your test, you can indirect and then next turn just keep up that indirect fire. Um, and especially things like your transports, the Comsomolets, because he's open top. It's mm -hmm. only seven points to make him veteran, and I would definitely do that. Again, when I run them, I'll quite often send them into outflank or keep them in reserve, and then having them veteran is a double benefit then, because not only is it for unreliable, it's also for that reserve check. You want to explain as a Finn player why I'm running eight-man squads? Um, 
for my regulars. Yeah, that's perfect, actually, because um, that leads nicely into my next point as well. So the, one of the Finns' national characteristics is when they go down to half the original strength, so let's say you start with an eight-man squad down to four, they increase in veterancy. So an inexperienced squad would become regular, a regular squad would become veteran, and a veteran squad becomes a super vet where still fives to wound, but morale 11. And so you always really want to run your fins as evens because if you take seven men, you have to lose four men before you increase in veterancy. If you have eight men, it's still four men. And yeah. so if you've got seven men, you might as well either run it as a six so you only have to lose three or an eight. Um, and actually, on that note of national characteristics, one of my other thoughts was the Finns also get plus one to hit for firing rifles from ambush. So mm -hmm. that's the um, the trained huntsman special rule. Mm -hmm. And because of that, what I actually was thinking with your continuation squads is I personally never take SMGs with those squads mm -hmm. because I want to maximize that rule. And so I actually think you'd be better off dropping the SMGs and giving the whole squad tough fighter because it maximizes your trained huntsman rule. And mm -hmm. it also makes them a big deterrent. If you come up against that Japanese army, yes, they've got the fanatics, but you're tough fighter. And if they take you down to half strength before they charge in, you go up to veteran from regular. Yeah. And so that was one of my thoughts on your continuation squad. And then the final thought I had on those continuation squads actually was your Komsomolets actually doesn't really have a job, I think, in that 500 points list. And so what might be worth doing is making one of the squads just a little six-man with two Panzerfausts, mm -hmm. making the other squads bigger if you need to use the points up. And then that six-man squad on the Komsomolets can be your little tank hunting squad and then it's still to fighters, so if it gets into bother, there's still a bit of a deterrent. I agree with you. I would prefer to run rifles in my fins. But when I originally painted this army, I painstakingly converted the Brigade Games fins. Um, they mm -hmm. had a couple of blisters of Winter War medals, and I bought an army's worth. Well, there was almost no SMGs in that, and I was planning to run a fair few SMGs in my CanCon list way back when, so I converted a ton of them. And then I painted them, and now <laughs> they're the models I currently have. I have taken every Rifleman model I own and jammed it in here, and now I need to paint more for this. I believe at the moment, for the list that we are discussing right now, I have to paint eight rifles yeah. and the gun crew which is very doable. However, it probably would be nice if I <clears throat> painted more. Yeah. As, as soon as you're saying SMGs in the continuation squads, I knew that was exactly the case because every time I meet a, a Finnish player who hasn't been playing Finns for a long, long time, it's usually the second army, they nearly always have SMGs because you buy that infantry squad and it comes with at least one SMG. And so they throw mm -hmm. them in. Now, one of the ways you could make it work for you without having to paint extra riflemen is if you took the Yakari squads instead, yeah. which are, um, they are veterans though. So it might not be exactly in your theme, but they can 
all have submachine guns. So you could take all those submachine guns, put them into a single six-man squad, and yeah. use that as your tank hunter squad with two Faust still, and then also as an infantry hunter by rushing forward and just jumping out and hosing someone down with 12 shots. I do like that. I'll be honest. The consomolets, I almost always forget they have seats on them <laughs> when I run fins because I do own two. Yeah. I typically run them as fire and forget, uh, just like the uh, just tracked harassment units. Um, because yeah. they're tracked, they can drive through and over terrain that wheeled armored cars often can't. And we tend to have a lot of good terrain in Melbourne. So yeah. when when I take them, it's literally to be like, oh, how cute. You've set that up so I can't drive my armored car over there. Oh, I don't care. I have tracks. And I drive over the wall and then I'm you know, shooting their, their gun crew. Yeah. And if they blow it up, it's 35 points. Exactly. I don't care. even if even if you just think of it as a stationary pillbox with mm -hmm. a, a light machine gun, it's worth its points every time. Um, I just really like to use it. So what I often do is I'll rush them up early game, like maybe put them behind a forest or rush through a forest is always really cool. Mm -hmm. And then the squad will run out either onto an objective or into a building. The squad will rush to somewhere where they're going to be a bit of a headache for my opponent, and then. The Comsomer, let's just sort of lurks behind, putting out a pin a turn. And so I'm always thinking about what's going in there. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world if the transportation doesn't get used necessarily. Um, it's just, it's one of those things. And I think key to any good game is the agency and having multiple ways to play. And yep. that's what makes a great game generally. And so I think you can also apply that to armies where great armies have lots of different ways to play them within the one list. So you could run it where you never use the Comsomolets transport, or you could put two squads in and rush up. Um, and that's really nice to have that as an option. Uh, one of the options, and I wanted to bounce this off you, mm -hmm. um, while we're spitballing, I mean, I know that everyone always says, the Finns, you must take a BT-42, um, which is why there's more BT-42 models than there were actual models or <laughs> tanks on the actual war much like the puma um yeah. although fewer because a lot fewer people play fins um uh, but i i really if i'm gonna the problem i have with the bt42 for those who don't know it is a light tank with a medium howitzer in the turret um which is a, a steel at 140 points but doesn't do what i want this army to do which is kick out some pins and i really i mean I did build this list for a historical reason and it, that just shoots it right in the foot. Now, before you say, but wait, you were talking about T 26s a minute ago, they were in and they worked with heavy tank brigades. So that does fit. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, um, I've never, to be honest, I've never been convinced on the BT. 42 it's it's one that you do often see you're absolutely right yeah. because a medium howitzer is good but the way i play i like to play a pin game so yeah all those pins and so for me it's always been either the the t28 or the vickers that mm -hmm. because you've just got more opportunities to hit more dice is always more fun <laughs> yes yes part of me wants to do what you're suggesting mm -hmm. drop one of the t28s Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, I'm, I'm considering 
I, I, I also love the death by a thousand paper cuts. Now, if yep. you dump out a T28 and you put it in a T26, you gain, I think, 60 points. Yep. So part of me, and I never, I almost never take a medium howitzer, but this list kind of feels like it needs a gun. So I was like, mm. maybe do I take out the autocannon because it's only a light and I replace it with a medium howitzer and put in um, a toe. So what I'm gaining there is I think I have to pay an extra 30 points, 15 to go from the, oh, no, I'm so used to thinking heavy. <laughs> oh, it's more than that. Oh, that's a shame. Um, I was thinking mm -hmm. it's only, you know, 60 to 75 points is only 15, you know, 15 points and then throw in a toe for 15 points. But I suppose I do have a reindeer sled. Well, what you could do, because you don't need to have a toll for it. You can push that gun on. So you don't oh, yeah. have to take yeah. those points into factor. Um, True. You could take a mule team, obviously, as a reindeer. Um, yeah. The other thing you could do, if you are sort of smitten with the anti-aircraft gun, but you do want a three-inch template, is you could take a heavy mortar as your other True. choice. And, of mm -hmm. course, that's nice because, because it's hitting the top armor of vehicles as well. It's yeah. threatening up to sort of armor 10. And so, yes, yeah. you're probably not going to knock that tiger out with a heavy mortar, but you are going to pin it if you get the hit, and that will just slow it right down. And so that was one of the things that I noticed um, as you were talking through that. We didn't talk about mortars at all, and that's usually, yeah, for a lot of the lists sort of in the UK, I think most people start with either a medium or a heavy mortar. Yep. Just throw that in because it's, it's just, it's one of those units that, isn't guaranteed to win you a game, but every now and then it just gets that six. Well, well, it's it's about applying pressure, right? So somebody has a, a big gun, a medium howitzer, a heavy howitzer. Somebody has something that they really don't want to move. You get in there, you start lobbing cheap little shots, and then turn three, they have to make that hard decision. Am I going to have a 50% chance of hitting you? And possibly wiping your gun, or are you going to move? And if they move, they're not shooting that turn. And that is typically when I'm pulling the trigger on a larger assault, and that gun all of a sudden is out of action. And for me, that is worth 50 points, which is why, like you say, almost all my lists that I make for pull to action typically <laughs> factor in 100 points. 50 points for that medium howitzer, 50 points for that light, um, artillery piece, because then mm -hmm. I can just apply that pressure. I can fire direct sights with the arty piece if I need to, but more often than not with both with the single platoon, I'm dropping out those indirect shots and making my opponent make some bad decisions. And if I hit before then, you know, yay, it's Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah. Now but, there is a, another yeah. way you could play that game because this often happens where people take a mortar, so someone takes someone else takes a mortar, and we just have counter artillery battle. Mm -hmm. What you can do is just not play that game at all. So because your force is very mobile, the only thing you've got really that's quite slow is that artillery piece. If you dropped your artillery entirely, yeah. you're no you can't fall victim to that pressure game anymore. It's true. And it actually might be a bit more thematic because everything can keep up with each other. And so that might be a way to save yourself some points. And there are some things that I think are worth spending those extra points on as well. 
you're you're tickling my fancy here. So let's say we dumped the 50 points. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me immediately wants to put in another Comsomolets. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. I need to stop having this 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 knee jerk reaction. Comsomolets, as the man with five Comsomolets, yes. I totally understand. <laughs> yes. So so what are you thinking? So there's a few units that I think are definitely worth considering, and also a few upgrades. Now, mm-hmm. because it is sort of casual, this first mm-hmm. one might not be one. You might want to take up, but a flamethrower team yeah. might be a nice addition because you've without much anti-tank, if you come up against a tough nut like a tiger mm-hmm. and your Panzerfaust miss, which is my usual experience of Panzerfaust, <laughs> yes, putting that Comsomolette either in the outflank or rushing up behind a ruin might be what you need. And so yeah. the flamethrower in the Comsomolette, you could put the officer in there with them as well. And then yeah. Even if you don't use it offensively, you could use those two units to go and capture an objective late game. And yeah. so that's certainly worth considering, especially if it is a, just a straight trade for the arty piece. And it also nicely fits your theme of sort of your, your mobile tank platoon yeah. pushing forward. Um, so that was my first one. I don't know what you think yeah. of that. Well, is that too competitive? No, not at all. I Look, I'm not afraid of a flamethrower team. I start to get twitchy with more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, I think you're right. Like the, I love an autocannon. I adore an autocannon. However, and the only reason I've put it in here is because I needed, I wanted something that had range, but also I converted one when I built the army originally and I've never painted it. Yeah. However, that army and this army are wildly different. That army did not have a T28 at all let alone two. So the, the autocannon, re- as you say, does not fit my theme at all. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually, mm-hmm. I'm liking this. I'm liking this idea. And what then, else do you think? So then the other unit, which I think pairs very nicely with your T28s is, so your T28s are going to start on your line. They're going to push forward the mm-hmm. enemy's infantry. If they want to stay out of the way, they're going to hide behind cover, maybe stay on mm-hmm. their table side and so the unit that I think, I mean, the unit I always include in my fins is the Kalkapartio squad. Mm-hmm. So they can outflank for anyone who hasn't seen them before. When they outflank, you can either enter the table from the side you've selected or from your opponent's table edge. And so what that does is, let's say we're playing that artillery battle where we're putting pressure on each other's artillery pieces. The Kalkapartio can jump out from behind the enemy's artillery and take it out. Also what it does is it puts pressure on the backline units. And so your opponent isn't going to set up their artillery on their table edge because they know you're coming in there. So they'll put them slightly further forward. But of course, if they do that, the T28s are going to be in their face. And so if you were to add a flamethrower and Kalkapartio, and mm-hmm. you put the flamethrower in outflank, the Kalkapartio in outflank to come from behind, you've got your T28s coming up from the front, your opponent at that point doesn't want to go near the sides of the table, doesn't want to stay by their table yeah. edge, and they equally they don't want to come too close to you. They're going to castle up in the middle, which I think really feeds into your play style here where you want lots of units close together so that your T28s yeah. can put a pin on three at a time. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think of that? Calcopartio? Yes, I'm loving where you're going with this. However... 
I I'm starved for points. And mm. at least that's how I feel. I may not. Yeah. I mean, I've got five infantry squads at this point and, you know, multiple big tanks. So I'm starving myself on, you know, I'm, I'm starving myself on all the things that I love in life. It's like I'm starving because <laughs> I'm only eating chocolate and pizza. Um, but the 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 outflanking squad are 23 points a model. Yep. And I just can't. And I've seen um, Tristan from the Bacon Burgers ran those the the cutapart. I always say it wrong. Cutapartio, I believe. Cotopatio. I mean, I'm um, probably saying it wrong, but the way that it's it, written is Cowcapatio is how it's written. I can. I know it. I, I mm-hmm. my my mouth goes to say it, and then I say <laughs> it wrong. Um, if we are taking that unit. And he, I have seen him use it effectively. I've seen him run multiple units. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I've definitely seen him run one in all. I think in all of his finless. I definitely understand their value. I'm not saying they're not a great unit, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm wondering: is it worth two other regular guys per one of those guys? Yes, they have medic. Yes, they come in from behind enemy lines. Yes, they're you know, armed to the teeth with all the goodness. Yes, they are veteran. Yes, they are amazing. But would I rather have two regular squads and one of those? That's where I start to to wonder, given that I'm going to be running the pin sprinklers. Now, if I had the outflank flamethrower team, I think that would, as you say, encourage my opponent to maybe come in from the sides a bit. And with the, the two towers lists with a couple of consomolets or armored cars floating around on the tabletop, um, not the outflanking ones and having, you know, backed up with solid infantry where I have Panzerfaust that discourage people from getting closer I feel like I'm already kind of encouraging people to come in from the sides a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I'm really encouraging them to not get too close to me, which helps me to move forward and get where I need to be. It, does that make sense? Yeah, that's what you're saying. But I think you actually want, what's quite nice is because you want to be ambushing, you kind of do want them coming towards you in a way. Cause what's, brilliant with the fins is if you set your infantry squads up in ambush and then let's say it is the end of turn two they know that your calcum party are coming on from the back edge they're kind of between a bit of a rock and a hard place do i walk into the ambush or do i wait and take that smg fire from behind and so for whenever i build a list calcum party are always the first thing i include because i'm not including them for their individual use i'm including them for that sort of forcing your opponent's hand. And equally, if I want the opponent to stay back, I'll just not put them in outflank. Um, and on the points value, yes, they're expensive, absolutely. But your eight-man regular squads with the SMGs and the Faust, you're looking sort of 91 points, and the Calcapart, you're 115. So yeah. in that context, they're not hugely more expensive. True. And they're sort of 24 points more. Before those 24 points, you're getting... SMGs, you're getting your crazy rule, you're getting um, skis, I believe, for free. Uh, oh, no, sorry. This is the squad where you have to pay for the skis. You have to pay for model, skis, yeah. You have to pay crazy. for skis in the whole army. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because it's they're 23 points each and they couldn't even throw in the skis. Uh, yeah. 
but yeah, you get the medic rule as well, and the mm -hmm. fanatic. So the other one, other thing, actually, swinging all the way back to the tournament is there will be an objectives mission, I imagine, mm -hmm. and so if your opponent has an objective deep in their backfield and they know your character party are coming in, they're going to have to hold back more of their army to secure that, which means that it's easier for you to take the other objectives. So that's the other reason why I often think they're just attacks that I have to pay with the fins because they give me such a tactical advantage. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm. Um, I avoided them because it didn't fit my, I avoided all veteran uh, yeah. because it didn't fit my theme. But man, you're making some valid points. I did think that when, after you talked through the theme of the army, and then obviously the the theme of the tournament, I did think Calcopatia would be sort of the the sort of on the fence unit where, yes, they're brilliant, but do they fit this particular army because it's thematic? Because I'm trying to play the thematic tournament. Um, mm -hmm. If it was purely competitive, I I would heavily heavily encourage you to yeah. take them. Because it's not as competitive as it could be. I think mm -hmm. that's one for your conscience. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guys who are running up with the T-28s were supposed to be engineering types, which is why they mm -hmm. had, you know, artillery tractors or more support tractors for the tanks because they were breaking down. So part of me considered at one point thematically adding an artillery tractor, not at, with no artillery for thematic reasons it's 15 points i figure you know what you know one percent of my list um yeah to uh, to have something that's a nod to the story and it is a cheap order dice i mean do i really need it though with 14 maybe i i don't i honestly don't care mm -hmm. about the order dice once i'm at this level anyway um no. so that was that was one thing i was thinking again that has that is the opposite of what you're describing. <laughs> yeah. Being sensible. Um, this is not being sensible. Part of me did honestly consider what if I put skis on things just to be that guy, just to be like, haha, buddy, look at me. I'm <laughs> being that guy. Because the line, there may be some competitive play. Then that thought went, what if I spent that single point on all the infantry models and gave them tough fighter, which is what you said before? which I could easily do if I dropped all the SMGs out of the army, which just means I think I have to paint another eight dudes, which I don't think I can. I think if you do consolidate those SMGs into single squads, also, if you do go down to six-man squads with two Fausts, you'll yep. need less SMGs. You could just drop the two-man with SMGs to do that, which is going to save you some painting. True. Although I yeah. do need to paint Fausts. <laughs> yes. Although you could paint them as a, um, one of the ways that I often see people do it is, and it's a bit of conversion work, but if you get a magnet and just paint the individual Faust and yeah. magnetize it to the soldier's back, yep. that's less painting to do, more converting to do. But the big benefit is once he's fired that Faust, you can remove it so that everyone knows which soldiers yeah. still have Fausts. Um, yeah. A friend of mine did back in V1 had the Panzerfaust models uh, that he'd made. And then he had these little tiny circles, like little hoops that yep. sat over the Faust. And after they fired them, they lifted them off. And then it was yeah. like, yep, I fired it. Does not have the ring anymore. Has fired, does not have the Faust anymore, which, you yeah. know, is good, is good practice on the tabletop because that's the other thing I was honestly considering at one point thinking, Oh God, do I have to paint 
for every one of these Panzerfaust guys? Do I have to paint two dudes? I don't want to do that. Um, the way to I, the way to avoid that is just play very aggressively. Because if you lose a squad very early, you've got spare riflemen in your tray. You can replace the Panzerfaust with. You're not wrong at all. I'm not. Yeah. I do want to quickly address something, though, with mm -hmm. this list or variations thereof. Um, if I'm facing something aggressive, something with lots of cavalry, something with, I mean, uh, clearly there won't be a bamboo uh, horde here um, because it's limited. Mm -hmm. But something maybe truck spam list, which, you know, is uh, a big thing. And we do see in the Australian meta, someone getting up in your face and dumping out and doing things. I think this list has the tools, given the, the Huntsman rule, that if someone is going to do that, particularly with rifles doing pins, not only to the truck and to the unit inside. I think that having that plus one to hit is, you know, even more valuable. I don't know how much ambush I'm going to want. I don't feel like I don't have enough units to necessarily do that. Um, mm -hmm. But the ATR is my favorite truck deterrent. Just yeah. putting an anti-tank rifle on the end of a road, putting it in an ambush and sitting it there. And when the truck drives by, taking a shot. And as I said, put that pin on. I think this list has the tools for that. And the T-28s can always you know, throw a machine gun, not necessarily yeah. to destroy the truck. If that happens, amazing. But again, it's to put an extra pin on the truck, put an extra pin on the unit inside, deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this is swinging all the way back to sort of the ideas of what people think are good and not good. And mm. the context, what you play is a huge context on that. Because for example, I dislike, I think Japanese overpowered because I play a lot of flamethrowers in Marines. And mm -hmm. now since the FAQ, I can't hurt them. But equally, if I'm a British player playing exclusively Gurkhas, I actually think the Japanese aren't that scary because come and charge me. I don't really care. Um, and having said that, I actually think this list is very good at countering those armies who are going to push right in your face. Because as you say, you get an advantage for being in ambush. You've got loads of machine guns ready to shoot stuff at point blank range. You've got light howitzers there. And so... Your, I think this army is a great one for countering your close quarters armies like cavalry, Japanese, uh, Gurkhas. And it's also good for sort of your truck spam list because yeah. the riflemen probably will take down. Yes, you can't rely on them to take a truck out. But if three squads of riflemen shoot at the truck, mm -hmm. you're probably going to get that lucky six at some point. And so my concern, I think, so I think you're strong against those lists. I think this list is probably weak against the opposite. So those armies who want to stand all the way back yeah, and just let you come to them, um, in your original form where you've got the eight-man squads who can't get on the Komsomolets, it means they're walking, and so it's going to take you a long time to get across, which is why that was a, a big recommendation to sweep them yeah. down. Um, and adding the flamethrower to put pressure on, and again, mm -hmm. this is where, as a Finnish player, this is the reason I always include this Kalkapartio, because I'm not that fast across the table. And so by having the Kalkapartio, it allows me to get across the table much quicker with one squad while also bringing you closer to me. And so if someone brings like a gun line without the Kalkapartio, you might have a bit of a struggle just trying yeah. to get across the table at them if it's, if it's kill points, for example. Yeah, man, that's a really valid yeah. point. Well, this list does have the machine guns to reach out at range to put some pins on. 
you're not at, at range, you're not going to be doing that damage. And I don't have the mortars to apply the pressure against those lists either. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my head, I was thinking, well, of course I have that tool. But I haven't yeah. actually, I don't actually have that tool. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And one gameplay point, actually, on that ambush note that I was just yeah. thinking about as we're talking there. One of the, in key positions in those objective missions, once mm-hmm. your squad gets on the objective, often you kind of your hand is forced where you don't really know what to do with the squad because they can't leave the objective. But mm-hmm. equally, at some point, I have to activate them and I don't activate them too soon. Ambush mm-hmm. is that perfect order for that unit because you've used the dice on them, but they can still go down if they need to. And this is why that Finnish national characteristic is brilliant for that because. Every other army, you're going to do the same thing. You'll put them in ambush to protect them, but the Finns get a benefit for it. So if the Japanese do come around the corner and charge them, your reaction fire is going to be a plus two. Because Sorry, it's going to be on a two plus because yeah. you're going to be ambushing a point blank. Um, actually, everyone else will be getting that anyway. Now I think about that. <laughs> yeah, but in those situations mm. where it is a little bit further away, that ambush yeah. is better. And it is, yeah, yeah, that really does make a difference. Yeah. And so Your that's valid. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. it's a great I rule. Think, it is such a nice yeah. rule because I think one of the things what you start to see sort of beginner players go into intermediate players and sort of high level players when they start using ambush as their sort of their I don't want to do anything yet because I don't want to walk out, but equally I have to do something. And that ambush order is a great one because it retains the option to go down, but also it retains the option to fire at the end of the round. I think what I'm getting from this is I think I need to get it on the table because I, mm. I think that in my head, I am um, I'm, I have misconceptions about what I think the list does. And though I've played a smaller version of this, I haven't played it a thousand points. I think I need to get some friends around and I think I need to play this perhaps against some of the other lists that I put together uh, and see who comes out on top. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think until you've lost three times with a list, I think you haven't had, you haven't played with it enough to get it as strong as it could be, or at least you haven't learned how to play with it properly yet. Cause you have to play with it badly in order to know to avoid that in the future. It's very true, man. It's very true. I'm infamous for showing up to bolt action events with lists that I've never played. Um, however, if it's one lesson I've learned from playing a lot of Marvel Crisis Protocol this year is I'm really bad at that game. And so the more <laughs> that I play with a particular list, the more I know the rules. And strangely, I get better at it. It's almost like this thing called practice. Um, Crazy. I know, right? Um, I think because bolt action has that a rifle is a rifle is a rifle mentality you know we can often say oh i know how the game works i can extrapolate using this list and yes i'll keep in mind what the special rule is and we'll go from there and yes i'll get better with it over the course of an event i think with a list like this i think i have to actually play some games in advance and i think that would really help so yeah and because the other thing with fins is i find a bit like tiger fear their national characteristics are easily forgettable if Mm -hmm. you don't play with them regularly and so Definitely. I think if you want to be a competent Finnish player, you do have to get them out of the cupboard sort of at least every few months and get a good few games in with them. 100%, brother. 100%. Wise words. Wise words. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to hear more wise words, and I highly recommend that you do. Again, I am a listener, not just uh, I'm not just blowing sunshine. Tabletop Tommies, go on, find it on your favorite podcatcher, find them on YouTube, look for them. They are there. Johnny uh, and, of course, Phil, both of them dropping the knowledge. Um, they are a weekly show, and they are my weekly bolt action hit at the moment, and I am digging it. Uh, highly recommend the Japanese episode and the Finn episodes if you haven't checked those out. But of course, all the other ones are great. I am looking forward uh, to the medium machine gun or the machine gun episode that's coming up that you were talking about off air. Uh, Johnny, it is uh, a subject that I'm always interested in and I'm, I'm keen to hear your take on it. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it has been an absolute delight. Uh, if anyone is looking for us, tabletoptommies.com is our home where we put everything. We've even got a little blog on there. Um, so, yeah, check us out there. And thank you for having us on. Keep up the good work, sir, because I do equally tune in regularly, especially when you're talking bolt action. That is my my game. I hear you, brother. And thank you. And I'm sorry for if you're a regular listener. <laughs> um but ladies and gentlemen, uh, please, if you are in Melbourne and you are thinking about playing some bolt action, uh, Operation Malamute is a semi-narrative event. It is going to be a blast. Albert has really put the hard yards in on this player pack, and I know we're only seeing the front of it. I know he's been putting a lot of talk into, well, not talk, a lot of thought into I wish he was talking about it because then I'd know how to prepare. <laughs> um, put a lot of thought into the missions. Um, and I know that the, the, the level of detail that he will go into to set this event up and to make sure that it runs smoothly and, you know, smooth is better is, is <laughs> it's, it's a guarantee. It's lock. I, I promise the man is going to run a great event and I can't wait to play. And I hope to see you there too. Please go to operation Malamute on Facebook. That is M A L. A-M-U-T-E. And as always, if you have any requests for things to talk about on the show, I have gotten some requests. Please, can you talk about Bolt Action? Well, I just talked to Alistair on the last episode, and now, of course, I'm talking to Johnny. Um, yes, we will have lots more Bolt Action to come, but we also have a few other bits and pieces to talk about along the way. Please go to Cast Dice on Facebook, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, if you message the page, you are guaranteed a response. Hi, my name is Brad. You'll hear from me. But ladies and gentlemen, I think that takes us to what our buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
Salgão.